0: Welcome to the British Society of Gastroenterology Trainees podcast. My name is James Kennedy and I'm a gastroenterology trainee in the Thames Valley. Today's guest is Dr Phil Smith. Phil is a consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital with a special interest in IBD, intestinal failure and transition. He trained in gastroenterology in London and was appointed as a consultant in 2018. He is an elected member of the BSG Council and sits on the IBD and Adolescents and Young Persons Committee sections. Phil was awarded the BSG Trainee Section Young Gastroenterologist Emerging Leader Award in 2016 and the BSG President's Medal in 2014. As digital and education editor of Gut, he hosts the BMJ Talk Medicine Gut podcast and he is also associate editor for Frontline Gastroenterology. As if that wasn't enough, He's also an NIHR research scholar in the Northwest Coast Clinical Research Network and chair of the Mersey Gut Club. Welcome to the podcast, Phil.
1: Thank you. Um, thank you very much for inviting me, James. And uh, thank you to the BSD training section for thinking of me. It's a great honour. So, very happy to talk to you today.
0: Absolute pleasure to have you. We'll kick off. First of all, um, can you talk to us a bit about your route into medicine? So what made you become a doctor?
1: Uh, fa- yeah, thank you. Um, to, um, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess my, my way in will, will resonate with some people, but possibly um, not as many as uh, I would like. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So um, I'm from a, a very much a, um, a working class background. Um, my dad used to work in a uh, abattoir in East Manchester. My mum was initially a stay-at-home mom, but uh, previously a medical secretary. This is years and years and years ago, and then um, came came out of uh, when we were a bit older, and we we were a bit financially uh, stretched a bit more. Um, we uh, um, she became a home care assistant, and so I I literally had nobody in my family at all that had ever done medicine. Um, and in fact, my parents hadn't been to university even. Um, and my school in Rochdale in Greater Manchester uh, didn't have a track record of anybody ever wanting or, or going to do medicine at all um, at St. Cuthbert's in Rochdale. It was, a, it was a nice school, but it was a comprehensive school. Um, uh, and the aspirations weren't massively high, even in the sixth form there. So um, I guess in a way, um, my routine um, was triggered by unfortunate events, it was triggered by um, me becoming unwell myself and um, being diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, I think I was fairly conscientious as a student um, at at school anyway. Um, secondary school, I um, you know got you know good grades, worked very hard. I think that was something that stood out for me. That I was a hard worker and went the extra mile. Um, but then I think yeah, becoming unwell that triggered uh, thoughts that. Actually, the doctors and nurses and all the other healthcare professionals looking after me, I I thought, well, I could do that. And in fact, with some of the doctors, I felt, you know, with the right training, obviously, um, and being quite a determined person, I thought, well, I actually, I reckon I could or could have done that better um, because I've, you know, unfortunately had to deal with quite a bit of bad news over the years. And so um, that kind of uh, initially stimulated interest. had to have a lot of contact with my GP, as you'd expect. Um, And that's what really triggered my interest to to, to think, well, I might as well try. I have a chronic illness that's not going to disappear. Didn't want it to overtake my life. And I thought, well, you know, let's go for it. So, um, I mean, there's been hurdles along the way, massive hurdles. Uh, Even when I was doing my GCSEs, I was on massive doses of steroids and um, delayed some uh, a big operation um, when I had that, but got the grades, thank God. Um, and then had more major surgery in my A-levels, um, but then fa- thankfully got the job and got some offers um, to a few medical schools. Um, and then obviously arriving at medical school, it was a, a bit of a culture shock um, for me. Um, it felt like a lot of people around me um, almost didn't feel the same way about that, about being at medical school i think some people saw it as a rite of passage is you know obvious that they were going to get to medical school but me and um as it turned out my wife who i met at medical school we we, we very much thought while wow, we're here and realized the gravity and the, what we we're training to be um i knew that we needed to knuckle down and that was our approach together as a team uh, at medical school to get through because um Again, uh, and there's almost a cycle of this, Um, I needed more surgery at medical school, but uh, um, I was based in Nottingham, but I was looked after some excellent people like uh, Professor Hawkey and Mr Abercrombie and and others, Um, and then qualified, Um, initially did my PRHO jobs um, back in 2004 in in, in, in Liverpool, or the Mersey region, I should say. and then my wife's an Essex girl. We moved down to London, did our SHO and our uh, registrar, which then became ST Rotations um, in in London. Um, and then the timing was right. Um, my wife got a job in paediatric rheumatology at Alderhey. I was happy to move back up north. And that's where we moved back up with our kids um, back in uh, 2018. And... You know, in the SHO registrar years, it was, uh, again, a bit of a struggle. I had to battle with hospital admissions whilst training, um, getting through, requiring more surgery. So um, uh, my routine has has not been an easy one, I would say. Um, It's not been an easy one from my background, from, you know, getting advice of people uh, and annual health. But I think me and my wife work very well as a team together together. and I think we've got through and helped each other together and supported by family and friends and you know colleagues um who are obviously struggling or working hard to try and achieve the same goals really
0: wow that's that's fascinating thank you thank you for telling us all that and and I guess on that note do you think we do you think we do enough at the moment to enable access and widen participation um to, well in medicine? Um, to students with less privilege and, and non-medical families?
1: I think it's, um, I mean, it's a, a really good question, James. I think, um, I think the, the short answer is no. Um, but I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. I think things have improved, um, since certainly, um, 2000 and, uh, since 1999. Uh, and before when I was applying to and got into medical school, um, it wasn't great then but I suspect it was probably better than maybe it was a decade or so um but before that there are initiatives um uh, um available and and going in quite a few different medical schools around the uk there's also um student groups as well of which I've supported a few of them but i still I still unfortunately see um medicine as a very much a middle class there's a lot of people. It's not their fault, of course, and I'm not suggesting that at all. They've all worked very hard to get to where they've got to. But it's traditionally, come from uh, either a, a doctor family or um, private private education, or at least grammar school. Um, usually, white middle class. Um, I think diversity possibly is improving with um, the, the male to female ratio, um, ethnic minorities, etc. But class always seems to be something that tends to get overlooked, in my opinion. Uh, And to ignore class, which I think does happen in society, um, is wrong. And I think it does need to be uh, addressed full on because I think your population of doctors has to represent your population in general. Otherwise, I I, I think there's a real disconnect. Um, And I do feel quite strongly about that. Um, But uh, I could talk to you about that for hours, James, and get into all sorts of different political debates um uh, if anybody that's seen my twitter handle will know that
0: that's a really really good answer and 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 then moving on to uh, gastroenterology so was that always the long-term aim
1: um I, I mean certainly um once i uh got into medical school because i didn't quite believe i was gonna get into medical school and actually qualify um until it actually happened i think once it actually happened i think yeah, of course. I mean, I knew a lot about Crohn's disease, um, uh, you know, from my own experience. I'd gone through an awful lot of medications, knew the terminology well, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in that way, it was a um, an easy decision to say gastroenterology was the right area uh, for me to go in. However, of course, I'd be wrong saying I didn't hesitate because clearly it's a bit, you know, some people would say, is it not a bit close to home? Is it not something that? makes life a bit more difficult, a bit awkward, does it not bring back emotions and so on and so forth. And I think there is an element sometimes of that, not all of the times, but there is some of that. But I think, although I'd change it in a, in a, in a millisecond, I think it possibly, if you'll excuse the phrase, is one of my superpowers is that I really do get, um, you know, how patients with Get GI disorders may feel and the emotions they may feel, especially with I B D and um and so on and transition patients, for example. Um I understand how they might view doctors and view situations and their frustrations and, and I can really empathise that. Now, like I say, I, w- I would change that in a second. I don't think you need to be on well to to, to, to to be able to recognise those things. And I'm again I'm not saying that, but it, it has I think my insight has helped at times however i must say i was really interested in lots of different areas um going through Uh, there was quite a few different areas that that turned my head i must say really loved intensive care um uh, medicine um i loved the infectious diseases job um i I did. um you know uh, cardiology my dad was is on a heart transplant or was on a heart transplant list i should say um, that was always an interesting, a really good job. Uh, they were, I, I did a cardiology job and the, the registrars were all trying to get me to do that, which is all, always nice, of course. So yeah, it wasn't quite as clear-cut, but um, I think ultimately um, fate decided which direction I was going to head in.
0: And And transition is one of your specialist interests, and it's a crucial part of gastroenterology, but not necessarily one that it's not necessarily an area of clinical practice that everyone's familiar with. Um, what would be your top tips for trainees interested in transition?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny, isn't it? Um, uh, um, about familiarity and so on. Is that? I mean, because transition isn't exclusive to I for you know, for example, inflammatory bowel disease. Yes, that does appear to be the largest pa- patient cohort group. But you know, any pediatric patient with a long term GI disorder should really be offered transition um, to support them moving from a, uh, a setting where their parents help with decision making um, and really do other decision makers and the people that remind them to take their medicines or do the things that they do um, and so on and so forth to one where they're, they're meant to self-manage and so on and so forth. Um, so it, it's odd um that, that people say oh, I'm not I'm not interested in transition or that doesn't relate to me um, because it does I mean any young person that you see in clinic um, you know could potentially have benefited from that if they've come from pediatric care settings in terms of tips for trainees that are interested and um, is that you know a lot of centers don't don't because of the reasons I've just mentioned, don't seem to have embraced transition or necessarily see the benefit or see it as a a nice-to-have thing rather than a a must-have thing in their service. If you're interested, there will be somebody in your region, no doubt, in our region, in the Merseyside region, it's now me, now that I've joined, set up a transition service. Contact your your transition um, person in your region. There may be more than one. See if you could sit in on, on clinics. If you could even be involved in clinics. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of work to be done in transition research, audit, um, QI, and so on and so forth. Get get involved in that. I think, um, understand the or, or try and understand the perspective and the interactions into play, um, and the emotions that young people are going through. They're going through a time of great change, um. You know, there's lots happening in their life and their education, their sexuality, their um, literally everything, hormones, everything. They're growing, they're developing and so on and so forth. So um, I think trying to understand that situation and understand to a young person having a a chronic illness might not be their primary concern at that moment in time. They might be more concerned about um, going out with their mates or... You know just having fun and see their condition i mean everybody sees their con- condition as something they don't want but see it particularly in a negative light because you know it's actually impeding them from doing the things they want to do and i think demonstrating to them that it, that chronic illness doesn't mean it will take over their life that there are opportunities that they can pretty much do anything that they want to do um but make they may have to plan ahead um I think uh, if people are interested in that area, they need to learn from others, learn how, how to do it well uh, versus how not to do it well, and, and hopefully learn about the benefits. And, you know, there's, there's lots of cool ideas that come from people that are fresh to, the, to different specialties. Um, and we certainly haven't learned the best way of doing everything in transition. There may be new ways or different ways of developing services for young people, um, including social media including things like this even to educate people, to support people to develop services um, so ultimately as the phrase goes, you reap what you sow if you invest into people at a young age hopefully they'll they'll uh, be uh, well and able in the future and won't have as many complications, won't have as many adverse admissions or adverse events and so on
0: Throughout your career you've works heavily with uh, the journals gut and frontline gastroenterology um and what do you enjoy most about those roles
1: so um so the roles with gut and frontline gastroenterology uh, have have really uh, at many times when i've not uh, been well or felt a bit low about as we all have in the nhs or fan work had have been like you know shining lights on the horizon really and i I don't mean that to sound cheesy or corny. Um, I, I mean that. It, it's it's great fun. Um, I uh, applied competitively for the roles that I've got at those journals against other people, and uh, thankfully are successful. One of the best things is working with great people. In Frontline, I've had the pleasure, uh, the honour of working for Professor Anton Emanuel, um, and now Professor Mark Beattie, as editor-in-chief. And again, we've got the huge honor of working with uh, Professor Imad El Omar, who's a a, you know they're all good friends of mine now, and um, that's been a huge pleasure working with other associate editors, seeing how the the process of publishing works, seeing all of the new uh, interesting articles that come out, and often sometimes being the first person to know about that, and knowing what's what's coming out, what's hot, what what's not so quite interesting, seeing how. As an editor, you can take a paper that might look a bit dry or a bit dull, suggest a few things, suggest changing this, changing that, and seeing a paper that was quite dry but had promised to turn into something else is, is actually really exciting. And then, of course, as any, any editor would say, you know, um, seeing it in paper copy is great, doing the podcast is really good fun, um, you get to have a nice chats with people, um, liaising with people for gut videos, abstracts, um, videos. Um, there's there's so many different opportunities. And, of course, you know, I I feel like I've been quite key to the development of gut and front lines development on social media. Um, both accounts I tweet and retweet from. Um, you have to be quite um, – uh, uh, well, you have to be very professional – Uh, representing the journal in those situations and that's been really interesting doing that and seeing how FG debates which are developed um, have come on and and actually it's been nice to see how leading in those journals has meant that other gastroenterologists have taken online things going forward and, and developed other things and initiatives and you can see that not just in the UK but you know across the water in America, Europe and around the world so I love it basically, and if you can get involved in that training in the future, um, that would be great. And I don't think I'd get the posts, but I thought, Sod it, I'm going to pl- apply, go for it, and I was lucky enough to get the positions.
0: That's brilliant, and and from that perspective that you've got the yeah the really exciting perspective of seeing all the new um yeah, new journal articles, reviews, um, guidelines, kind of you know, having the first first look at them what what would you say probably within your own specialist areas but or or within the whole of gastroenterology what would you say our priorities should be over the next 10 years
1: yeah so um i i think there's um i mean um i think um in terms of ibd uh, and i'm just speaking quite broadly here i think um there is a push to try and uh, personalize um medicines and uh our personal care plans um for patients. And I think that's a great um uh, a great um uh, aim and goal. Um quite how it how that pans out um is, is going to be interesting to see, given that we know that there's lots of different pathways that can lead to a final common pathway that leads to a phenotypic presentation of Crohn's or UC. But actually Within that, there's probably several different conditions that we've all lumped together under an umbrella of Crohn's, for example. Um, and it's about understanding those different pathways and how to treat people, um, you know, that presents in one way versus another way, which drugs to start with, which order to go in if, the, if one fails. I think there's so many unanswered questions, really. Um, there's going to be so many drugs coming through if you look at the the trials. There's so many head-to-head trials that seem to be coming through in the next few years. That's going to be really interesting because a lot of companies have held back and feeling frightened about doing head-to-head studies in the past. So that's going to be really interesting. But um, I think the aim remains the same to try and, um, you know, improve and optimize personalized care. From my perspective, though, as a patient with Crohn's disease, um... I would, I would like to to see more people actually trying to find out, uh, the the root cause of Crohn's disease, um, all those conditions, and actually see whether it could be prevented rather than, uh, you know, before it develops, and see if that is possible. We've got some amazing genetic microbiome studies, and um, you know, epigenetic, and you know, um, uh, environmental background studies, or you know, um, all of these things together. Um, I think if there was a a way of avoiding things before they develop, that would be good. See if there's a cure can be found. I think that's still the aim of lots of different charities um, and patients want that. But really there's certain areas that I think could be improved as well. You know, um, perianal disease care, for example, um, you know, fatigue, you know, something related to fatigue, the psychological support mechanisms that you get with these conditions, I think all of those need to be really improved and and people value them more. In terms of IF, intestinal failure, I think the UK is going to be in a tricky place um, in the next few years, and I I say that honestly um, because of the massive restructuring that's just happened with the surgical intestinal failure uh, tender that's taking place. Essentially, what's what's going to happen, unfortunately, as a result of that tendership, is that you're going to have areas of the UK that um, are allowed to do surgical procedures on IF patients, which are the, the patients that most IF specialists want to look after, have been trained to look after, um, and find most interesting and satisfying to see those patients get better. And there'll be other places where equally trained individuals that I'm no longer able to look after those patients because of this tender process, which, you know, from my own experience, I, I can't say I've been massively impressed with. Um, and uh, and unfortunately, the patients that uh, the, or the places that aren't able to look after surgical life patients may end up looking after patients that are often very challenging um, and long stay patients and uh, functional patients, which. Historically, clinicians have found more challenging and difficult, and less satisfying or easy to look after, with no investment or money. That could ultimately—I hate to sound pessimistic, James—lead um, to declining people wanting to do IF and nutrition. So I'm not sure the the strategy. If if I was in charge, of course, is the one that I would have followed. Um, uh, and certainly, um, I don't. I'm not sure this tender has been processed in the way that is going to satisfy many people in the UK when they look back. So I think there's different challenges. Um, I think there's a very immediate threat and challenge um, that the UK is going to have to face in IF. IBD, I think, is is in a better situation, but they are clearly different challenges and and scale of challenge as well.
0: Exciting times, but also potentially quite difficult ahead
1: potentially it's certainly an intestinal failure
0: and what's your if you can name one what's your proudest achievement to date
1: um so my actual proudest achievement um it, it isn't related to work at all if i'm allowed to say that james yeah,
0: absolutely yes yeah
1: yeah yeah proudest achievement is my is getting my wife to 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 say yes to marry me um so that again sounds very cheesy that but actually She's been the biggest influence of my life for twenty-one years, um, because that's how long we've been together, and of course that's led on, us on to have um, three beautiful um children, Genevieve, Gabrielle, and Celeste, which I'm uh, I can't say I'm not. I'm one of these doting dads that's very proud and can't believe, um, particularly I uh, helped produce such um, um cheeky monkeys. So um, uh, that that's my proudest achievement in terms of work. Uh, there's been lots of things that I feel proud about. I, I, I don't think uh, um, me coming from my background ever imagined to be asked to do things, you know, like this, or be on guidelines, or to talk nationally or internationally. You know, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's been quite a ride. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been quite a ride, and hopefully, there's a few more rides to go.
0: And I don't know who gave you the the 25th hour in the day to do all that you do but um when you're not you know when you're not working what do you do to keep yourself sane and um, spend it how do you spend your downtime
1: well it, <laughs> it's a good question um um sane sanity I'm not I'm not sure everybody would argue that I ha- I have remained sane and um, not least my my wife and my family um uh no I you know clearly I'm I'm like everybody else I, you know uh, I've got lots of different things that I love um I have to say this very quietly as I work in liverpool but one of them is manchester united and I am a big a big united supporter so it's been a struggle moving to liverpool the last few years just as i moved they started winning cups and the premier league so that that's been a struggle i can tell you but um but that that's that's my team and um i love uh, swimming i can't say uh there's anything more any sport i enjoy more than um than than swimming it's you know i was a really good swimmer when i was younger and um you know i, I haven't lost that love for that it's such a nice feeling and in, enjoyable my kids love it as well um my wife's not as quite as keen but is learning to love it hopefully um and of course um just like everybody else i love uh you know holidays if we can get away. It's been hard with COVID, not being able to um, get away. I've been shielded because of my um, illness and immunosuppression um, with COVID. So once we can get away to somewhere nice and sunny, um, the girls love, love beaches and, you know, um, swimming and seeing fish and, you know, all the things that I like, actually, Uh, maybe I've just trained them that way. Um, And so, um, you know, if, if you ever imagine us being on holiday that's where that's where we would be
0: it's going to be on a on a stretch of sand somewhere
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah and to leave off um if you had to pass on one piece of advice for an early career gastroenterology trainee or someone considering applying for a training post in gastroenterology uh, what would it be
1: yeah i mean it's uh it's a great question and um you know you'd think uh i i would have Um, all of the answers. Uh, The truth is that I don't, but I can only speak from a very personal experience. So, the first, the first thing I would uh, say very loudly, um, is that despite everything that people train you to be about, you know, pushing yourself, achievements, and I'm the worst person for for suggesting about always challenging yourself and doing things. The reality is, is that it is only a job. Um, and when push comes to shove, you know, bad things, unfortunate things, sad things happen in your life. Um, you know, the most important things are the, the people that love you, your family, your friends, and so on and so forth. And I think that sometimes gets lost in the, in the kind of bubble that medicine lives in. It doesn't just apply to gastroenterology, of course. So remember that, that you have to look after yourself. You have to look after others. I'm not saying that I've always done that perfectly. I definitely haven't. But, but that would be my main initial piece of advice. N- next, I would say, be happy. I know that sounds, again, a bit cliched, but I've done things, including when I did um, my research, where I thought, i really interested in that, and then, actually, I was completely, completely miserable. I think that was partly because of the, the circumstances that I was in, which I, I won't go through in this 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 podcast but i i made the wrong decisions um not not deliberately of course but um i i needed i should have put myself in a less toxic environment and um that's a big regret so try and try and if you can um be less naive than i was um and look look about what's going to be right for you what's going to make you happy what you're going to enjoy what's going to make you want to get out of bed in the morning and go yay that's really what I um, uh, love doing. Slightly contradictory to to the previous two things, um, the other thing I'd say is that a lot of reasons that I think people don't go for things that they actually really do like, is because the little person in that inside the head says, "Oh, I'm not good enough. It, what, what? he couldn't possibly me. I, it might, you know, why would anybody choose me to do that now?" I've I've always had a little bit of that in in me, um, uh, possibly because of my background. Because uh, possibly I might have had a bit of a a chip on my shoulder, thinking I wasn't good enough because I, I came from this background, or you know, and so, you know, a, a variety of different things. But actually, it's, it's possibly spurred me on at the same time. And I, what I would say to people is that if you are if you really want to do something that's really interesting, you really want to go for it go for it. The The worst that can happen is that uh, they say no or you don't get it and then you could you could potentially apply uh, again or, you know, readjust and think of uh, something you could do in the interim period and then reapply. You know, if, if opportunities come your way, provided you are balancing your work and your life, go for it because there's nothing like regret. Um, so long as it makes you happy, don't do things that make you sad, make you angry, that's going to Make you wanna kick the cat when you go home um you know you need to 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 find keep the n h s is a tough place do things that are gonna sustain you that you're gonna enjoy uh, that that gonna give you a sense of fulfillment and provided you do that, i think you're on to a winner um really um the final thing is um you, the n h s is a really really tough place i've said that several several times. There are times um, uh, where you feel the system is set against you and I think that's fair to say that trainees can sometimes definitely feel like that. Um, uh, You have to really look after each other. I've been fortunate. I've had some good friends and colleagues, obviously my wife works in the NHS as well, who have helped support me and I've tried to help them at times of difficulty as well. People must help each other and support each other because if you don't, you know as an as a team as a I talk about uh, the, the royal team the global team you know if we all fall apart and dissipate then we're we're not stronger we're we're weaker as a result of that so you know as jerry springer used to say you've got to take care of yourself and each other
0: well phil thank you so much for joining us today
1: it's it's my absolute pleasure it's uh, uh a a great honor um uh, to be asked um i was the BHD training section chair um a number of years ago i think you guys are doing a fantastic job um it's great to say very proud that the trainings are, are just getting better and better each year so well done to you all
0: thank you for listening to the british society of gastroenterology trainees podcast please do listen to our other episodes available at www bsg.org.uk forward slash trainee dash podcast on soundcloud spotify itunes and pocketcasts and don't forget to give us a rating and leave a review wherever you listen